So there arose an Israelite custom that for four days every year, the daughters of Israel would go out to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. So ends the 11th chapter of the book of Judges with the report of an annual festival of grief for a poor young woman who died before her time. And you would think that for the death of a single woman to inspire such a tribute, it must have been a particularly tragic story. If you do not know the story of the daughter of Jephthah, you really have no idea. This is Retelling the Bible. Episode 3.5 Back Jephthah The Woman Who Was Remembered Jephthah looked down at the tiny little bundle in his arms in awe. The baby was so tiny. As she gave it to him, the midwife said that it had come early, that it was so small, but that it was strong and would no doubt thrive. The child's mother, Jephthah's wife, was not so lucky. She had struggled hard to bring the child into the world, but was now so weak and there was so much blood everywhere that she was not expected to last the night. Already they were searching the camp for someone who could act as a wet nurse for the babe. Jephthah had married his wife, the daughter of a local chieftain in the land of Tob, in order to carve out a safe base from which his outlaw band could stage their raids. He had been fond enough of her, but he never would have said that he loved her. He didn't love anybody. He had sworn to himself that he never would. Jephthah was the son of a great man in Gilead, a chieftain held in high esteem. But while he was fortunate in the choice of a father, he had had the poor judgment to be born not to his father's wife, but rather to a prostitute that his father had visited only once, or at least so he said. Jephthah's father was an honorable man. He acknowledged his illegitimate son when the prostitute showed up at his door, bearing the bundle wrapped in a tattered blanket. He took him into his home. All might have gone well for Jephthah if that had been the whole story, but it wasn't. His father soon had two other sons, legitimate sons, with his wife. As soon as these two appeared on the scene and had grown to a certain age, Jephthah's relationship with his father went sour, and the older the two boys grew, the worse things became. It was probably all the worse because, in so many ways, Jephthah outshone his legitimate brothers. He was taller, stronger, a better fighter and hunter. His brothers seethed with resentment, 
and when they came of age, they gave their father an ultimatum. This bastard has nothing to do with us, they said. Send him away. He will never inherit anything alongside us. Now Jephthah had always worshipped his father. When he was younger, before the others had been old enough, the two had spent a great deal of time together. Indeed, it was his father who had taught Jephthah how to fight and hunt, both of which he had taken to much more readily than his younger brothers ever would. When his fathers accepted his brother's ultimatum and told Jephthah that he had to go away, Jephthah had called down curses upon his father's head and his father's house. He would never forgive such betrayal, and he would never trust anyone as he had trusted his father, just to have that person turn against him. Jephthah decided that he would have to make his own way in the world and he vowed that he would never love anyone again. But now, as Jephthah stood here and looked down at the tiny bundle in his arms, he knew that he would break that vow. The baby gripped Jephthah's finger with its fist. It held on so tightly as if it knew that its father was the only family that it had. When the child began to struggle and squirm, turning its head towards its father's chest and looking for a nipple to suck, Jephthah called out, My child is hungry! Where is that nurse? Bring her to me now! My baby must eat! Something had moved deep down inside of Jephthah's body. He knew that he would do anything to protect this child and make sure that it had everything it needed in order to thrive. Jephthah was almost frantic by the time the nurse arrived, even though it was only about twenty minutes later. She had been found remarkably quickly given the circumstances. He relaxed and sank exhausted into a chair, only when he saw the child latch on and eagerly begin its sucking. The sight set his heart at ease, and he vowed to himself and to God that for the rest of his life he would do whatever it took to take care of the life of this child. Jephthah remembered what it had been like when he was first driven out of his father's house. With no family and no property to call his own, Jephthah had been a complete outcast in society. For any normal person, this would have been almost as good as a death sentence. The best that most people in his situation could have hoped for was a life of subsistence as a day laborer. But Jephthah was not most people. He went to the land of Tob and became an outlaw. He raided remote farms and villages. He even attacked important chieftains and some small cities. No one would dare to stand against him. Over time, others like him, younger sons, disinherited bastards, and the like, gathered around him, and they became a very formidable company. They were feared and despised by all, but life was good. 
Now that he had this child, who had come from his own body, Jephthah felt as if his life was finally complete. It was only later that the midwife came to him. She was hesitant. She had seen him holding the child, had recognized from long experience the way in which he was bonding with it. She felt honor-bound to tell him the bad news. My lord, your wife has passed away. She went quietly and in peace. Jephthah nodded absently as he gazed at his child, who was now sleeping in the nurse's arms. He had expected nothing else. The woman hadn't finished what she had come to say, though. There's something else, my lord, something you'll want to know. Your child, I'm sorry to say, it's, well, it's not a son. Your wife gave you a, a daughter. Jephthah was a bit surprised at this news. For some reason, he had just assumed it was a boy. Maybe it was because he felt such an immediate attachment to the child that he had thought of it as a son. But, of course, he hadn't asked, and he hadn't thought to look. Jephthah noticed that everyone around him was on edge. They were expecting him to rage and complain. They were expecting him to curse his dead wife for giving him a daughter, to curse God for such a burden. But Jephthah couldn't do it. He knew it was foolish. He knew it would probably lead to trouble. But it seemed that the decision was already made. He loved his little girl, and he knew that he would do anything for her. Life in the bandit camp was good. They were by far the largest and the best armed group of bandits anywhere in the region, so nobody threatened them, and very few resisted when they went out raiding. In fact, many of the small villagers and farmers valued their presence in the territory. Yes, the bandits did regularly come around looking for their share of goods and produce, but Jephthah was wise enough to understand that if you took too much, it would impact the farmer's ability to produce more. If he cleaned them out this season, there might be nothing at all left to take the next. The family might not survive. So Jephthah began to feel a certain responsibility for those that he robbed. What's more, the very presence of Jephthah's band kept other raiders and even foreign armies away. You couldn't really say that the people throughout the countryside loved Jephthah, but they didn't quite hate him either. Jephthah's daughter thrived in the bandit camp. Whenever her father was around, the two were nearly inseparable. She would have gone out with him on every raid if she could have, but her father was very protective of her and only allowed her to come when he felt that she would be safe. She lived a life of remarkable freedom, the kind of freedom that was unheard of for most women of Israel. She learned to fight with a sword, 
to ride and even to drink with the men. She could hold her own in council and trade insults with the hoariest veteran fighter. Some called her wild and complained about her conduct, but they would never dare to do so when Jephthah was around. No one was stupid enough to do that. It was a tradition among the people of Israel for a mother to name her child. But because her mother had been too weak, that had not happened when the girl was born. When the people turned to Jephthah to ask him for a name, he said nothing. He was overwhelmed in the moment. That's why the girl was never formally given a name. And so, as she grew up and became a young woman, she came to be known as Bat Jephthah, the daughter of Jephthah. After a while, no one could think of her by any other name. When the elders of Gilead first showed up in Tob, Jephthah laughed in their faces. The country was in a bad place, they said. The Ammonites had made war against Gilead and now ruled over the whole land. No one had been able to resist them, and the people were crying out under the oppression. It was in desperation that the elders had come to Jephthah. Everyone knew that he was the best fighter that Gilead had ever produced. If anyone could save them, it was him. But Jephthah was what was unmoved. If you think that I will so much as move my little finger to save the people who threw me out, who rejected me, then you have grown so much in your foolishness and self-deception. I will not go back there, not ever. But the elders were desperate. They would not take no for an answer. They kept pleading with him, promising them, him that they would give him whatever he required. Oh, really, he said. You'll do anything? All right, then. The only way I'll do it is if you make me the chief over all of you. And what's more, you will bring my brothers here, and they will bend the knee before me and declare that they were in the wrong and ask my forgiveness. I swear by Yahweh that if you do that, then I will come, and I will save your sorry asses. Jephthah was sure that that would be the end of it, and never would his brothers bow before him. As far as he was concerned, he and his daughter would stay in Tob forever. And the people of Gilead, they could all rot in shale. Two months later, as he prepared to set out with an army, Jephthah wondered about the wisdom of making such rash vows. At first, he simply did not believe his eyes when the elders of Gilead returned. <laughs> there they were, right in the center of the group, his brothers. They were dressed in sackcloth, and you could see the ashes upon their heads. When they came in front of him, they fell to their knees and begged him for forgiveness. They told him 
that their common father had died the year before, and that the most enduring regret of his life had been that he had sent his son away. He had never forgiven them for what they had made him do. They wept freely. Jephthah still didn't want to go. <laughs> what did he care for the people of Gilead, who had treated him so shabbily? But when he saw his men looking at him, saw his daughter staring at him from across the campfire, he knew that there was no way out of this. He had promised. He'd even made a vow before Yahweh. There was no way out of this one. So he had gone home. He had to admit that it felt good to enter again into his father's house, now vacated by his brother's families. He installed his beloved daughter as the mistress of the house. He felt gratified to watch all of the men of Gilead bow before him and swear to follow him no matter what he might ask. The practicalities of preparing for war had been exhausting. He engaged diplomatically with the king of Ammon through a series of messengers sent back and forth. It was all rather fruitless and frustrating, but it was the kind of thing you had to do. Calling up the men of the allied tribes also took a great deal of time. The men of Gilead were only too happy to fight now that they had a leader, for they had the most to win if the Ammonites were expelled. But the Gileadites could not defeat the army of Ammon alone, and the men of the other tribes were not so interested. They were not living under occupation. What was in it for them? Again and again Jephthah and his men had to remind them of the vows they had made in the name of Yahweh to come to the aid of their neighbors. Again and again they had to stress that such vows could not be broken. But finally everyone was gathered, and Jephthah looked out over the men. They had come, many of them, only grudgingly. Years of fighting had taught Jephthah that there is one thing that wins in a fight, one thing above all things else. Your men need to be united. Only then could victory be assured. He needed to find some way to pull these various tribesmen together and give them one identity. The victory had been stunning. With Jephthah at their head, the militia of Israel had swept through the Ammonite-occupied territories. Using the tactics that he had honed through many years of banditry, Jephthah sent out his men in smaller teams to rape, loot, pillage, and burn upwards of about 20 towns and villages. The large army of Ammon experts at fighting set-piece battles, had been unable to do anything against such an incursion. But it had been hard for Jephthah to convince the tribesmen to fight in a way that had become so natural to him, but that seemed so strange to them. 
He had promised them that if they would only listen to him, God would give them a victory. But they had resisted, insisting that they should continue to use the tactics that they had always used in the past. He finally realized that the only way to win them over was to make a vow of his own. And so a sacrifice had been organized. The animal was killed, and before the feast, while the bones and the fat burned upon the altar, Jephthah stood before the entire assembled army and made a vow to Yahweh. If you give the Ammonites into my hand, then whoever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return victorious from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, to be offered up by me as a burnt offering. It had been Jephthah's intention, of course, when he returned home in victory, to quietly send a messenger home to his daughter, who had remained in his father's house, now his house, during the battles. If it had been up to him, he would have taken her with him to fight, but the backward and superstitious tribesmen would never have accepted the presence of a woman among them. So she had stayed behind as the new mistress of the house. A messenger would have instructed her to prepare a fine calf and let it out the front door upon his victorious return. It would have been a perfect moment and set up a wonderful victory celebration that would be remembered for years. But things did not quite go according to plan. The messenger had been given very explicit instructions. Sent as a runner following the historic defeat of the Ammonites, he was told that he was to speak of the victory to no one until he had first come to the house of Jephthah in Gilead. Once he had given his secret message to Bat Jephthah, then he would be free to announce it everywhere and to accept the free drinks and meals that would inevitably be offered. But it is a hard thing to be a bearer of good news and not to be able to tell anyone. So it is perhaps understandable that when the messenger was invited into the house of one of the brothers of Jephthah and was plied with many drinks, he spilled the news. He did not tell them of the secret message that he bore for Bat Jephthah. Of course he didn't. But the brothers immediately saw the benefit of being the ones who would first announce the great news of the victory. They would be able to spin the story in the way that they liked. They had fumed when Jephthah had told them that they were not welcome to be part of his army. It would be a pleasure for them to steal from him small, some small portion of the glory of his victory. The messenger conveniently disappeared. But the news of the victory spread far and wide. The brothers did not get the bounce from the news that they had hoped for. But they certainly got something else. Something that they had never anticipated.
Jephthah would never forget the sight. It was the one face and form that he had most longed to see during the long days of battle. The one person in all the world who he truly loved. And she was smiling while she sang and danced out of the door of his house to welcome him home. And yet in that moment he knew that he had to kill her. There was no way around it. Everyone had heard him make the vow, and had he not told them over and over again while he persuaded them to go to battle, that a vow made to Yahweh could never be broken. If he backed out of this now, everything that he had built would fall apart, and he would live in shame for the rest of his life. When he told her, she was so brave and so stoic. She was so smart, too. She immediately understood that there was really no other way. And then when he said that he didn't care, that they could just run away and live again like bandits in some far-flung territory, she had sadly shaken her head and refused she would not allow him to walk away from the honor that he had now earned among the people of his tribe. She knew him too well. She knew that their acceptance was the one thing that he had always craved. She asked for only one thing. She would go away for two months, and with the young women of the village, she would grieve her impending death and the fact that she would never marry or be able to create an identity and family of her own. Instead, she would remain forever the daughter of Jephthah and nothing more, but also nothing less. Her father wept as he nodded. He understood what this meant. It was she who would be remembered. It would be her sacrifice, and not his victory, that would be celebrated in perpetuity. Year after year, the young women of Gilead would go out and weep and mourn for Bat Jephthah. It would be her name that would live on, not his. She would be exalted at the cost of his eternal shame. And as he wept and wept, and wept, he was pretty much okay with that. The story of Jephthah and his daughter is absolutely a tragic tale. It is set, of course, in one of the shadowiest eras of biblical history, the time of the Judges. Well, it seems likely enough to me that there was some historical warrior named Jephthah at some point in the history of Gilead. It is not unlikely to assume that the story around him grew and developed in the way of many ancient legends the trope of the bandit leader who somehow rises up to save the nation 
is one that is repeated a few times in the Bible. King David is the best example. Other nations had their Jephthahs as well. He's basically a Robin Hood figure. So the Jephthah story could have had its origins in a real legendary hero. Another possibility is that the story started with an annual festival, when the young women of a certain region went out into the wilderness for an extended period of time. Perhaps the stories of the daughter of Jephthah grew up during the observances of such a festival. After all, the young women would have had a lot of time to tell great stories while they hung around in the wilderness. However the narrative came together, the story of Jephthah and his daughter is certainly a sad story, but also a moving one. And that is what we are all about here at Retelling the Bible. That is it for this episode of Retelling the Bible. Please come back for a very special episode in two weeks. In the meantime, tell other people and rate and review this episode on iTunes or some other platform to help other people find it. The theme music for this podcast is Ada, and the mood music for this episode is Baba Yaga. The music is licensed under the Creative Commons, and you will find it links to it in the show notes. Both are written by Kevin McLeod. Thanks to Gabrielle McCandless for providing the voice of the midwife in this episode. Send your requests, comments, and questions to Retelling Bible on Twitter or to our Facebook page, Retelling the Bible. Show notes and commentary for this episode have been posted at retellingthebible.wordpress.com. This is Retelling the Bible, and I have been your storyteller, W. Scott McCandless. <laughs>